0: Hi, this is Elliot Fisherman and welcome to our latest vodcast and this is going to be one we've never done before. It's focused on CT angiography of the renal arteries, what the radiologist needs to know. And this is also going to be an exhibit for RSNA 2014. So it's going to be hot off the presses when you listen to this talk. When you look at the renal arteries, technique is everything. We want arterial phase imaging. Usually if you scan about 25 seconds post-start of injection, it works very nicely. You can also trigger off the uh, thoracic aorta or lower thoracic aorta, or upper abdominal aorta. If you hit about 250 to 300 Hounsfield filled units and start scanning, that usually works very well. We will occasionally do venous or delayed phase imaging, not so much for looking at the renal artery per se, but sometimes you can see differential function in the kidneys when you uh, do the later phase imaging. So that can be helpful occasionally. You won't need thin sections in that situation. Just some simple scans to look at the differential function. In terms of contrast, we like 100 cc's of contrast, either Omni 350 or Visipaque. 3- 320, and we'd like to inject at 5 cc's a second. That works very nicely. If patients have borderline renal function or decreased renal function, you can lower the contrast volumes as low as 30 or 40 cc's, particularly when you have dual energy scanning, and you can use a monochromatic energy, let's say 70, for example. Now, in terms of scan parameters, Since we're going to do reconstructions, we want thin sections. 0.75 millimeter slice thickness from 0.6 millimeter collimators works very nicely. Depending on patient's body habitus, 100 or 120 kVp. Again, you want to be dose conscious. So for many patients under 150 pounds, 100 kVp works very nicely. We reconstruct our slices every 0.5 millimeters to get very good quality volume reconstructions, and we typically will reconstruct with a soft tissue algorithm. As I mentioned, uh, dual energy can be helpful in these scenarios. We will look at axial images, but then we look at the coronals and 3D maps. The 3D maps are particularly valuable when looking at vascular structures, of course, and work very nicely in looking at the renal arteries. So let's talk about the normal renal arteries. About three-quarters or so of patients have one renal artery per kidney. That's kind of standard equipment. But about 25 patients or so have two or more renal arteries to one of both kidneys. The renal arteries typically arise at the level of the upper margin of the second lumbar vertebral body, approximately a centimeter below the origin of the SMA. Each renal artery supplies smaller, Uh, inferior adrenal arteries, which may be single or multiple. In one study of 400 cadavers and 800 kidneys, Pollock found that 23% of the cadavers had double renal arteries, 4% had triple renal arteries, and one had quadruple renal arteries. Multiple renal arteries occur on the left side in 26 to 32 percent of patients, and on the right side in 23 to 29 percent of cases. Multiple renal arteries occur in 15 percent of patients. Higher or lower origins of the renal arteries are not uncommon among accessory arteries, and we in fact do know that. And that information about the various positioning of the renal arteries becomes especially critical in applications such as renal donors, where if you have multiple renal arteries, and often the far Apart, it makes the laparoscopic surgery that much more difficult. It also affects, affects where we scan because, you know, it's not always the renal arteries in that perfect position at the L12 level. Sometimes they're as far down as S1. So that can become very important. Some other basic facts. The length of a renal artery is in the 4-6 to centimeter range, longer on the left than the right, which is why you like to do a left renal uh, donor. The width is about five to six millimeters, kind of just a bit more than the coronary arteries. Uh, As we mentioned, multiple renal arteries can be seen up to one-third of patients. Uh, Bilateral multiple renal arteries are about 12% of the population. And as we mentioned, the renal arteries typically arise off the aorta, but can arise from the iliac, lumbar, lower thoracic, or mesenteric arteries. So there is significant variation, which can be very important. We talk about the polar arteries, which are connected to the superior and inferior pole of the kidneys. Uh, those arteries tend to be smaller, and but they also arise either higher or lower. As noted, the accessory renal arteries sometimes arise from the celiac or SMA. That's very unusual, or from even the common iliac arteries. And here's just one nice example of... You know, three right renal arteries, including uh, the f- uppermost branch having prehilar branching. So, just a very nice example. This case also shows you that volume rendering is very good for localizing the number of renal arteries and their location. It also makes the point that at times on axial imaging, it's very difficult to correctly number the amount of renal arteries, and surely it's difficult to ascertain their orientation. Also, things like prehilar branching, which is seen in this case. Mm-hmm is best seen on 3D mapping. There have been several articles recently on the renal arteries. Here was an article by TUNA, which was just published. Identification of renal variants and pathologies is important because it has clinical consequences, especially before kidney-related procedures, such as laparoscopic donor or partial nephrectomy, vascular reconstruction of renal artery stenosis, and abdominal aortic aneurysm. CT angiography is an excellent study because it's fast, non-invasive, and provides highly accurate and detailed vascular information. In many ways, MR and CT both work well in this scenario, though CT has certain advantages, surely in terms of speed. CT is surely the modality of choice in patients with pacemakers, automatic implantable cardioverter defibrillators, and other non-MR compatible devices. CT is also generally preferred when high spatial resolution is required and when it's particularly important to demonstrate the peripheral arteries, such as in fibromuscular dysplasia or vasculitis. Now, if I ask the question, what are some of the renal applications uh, for looking at the renal arteries? There are a very, uh, it's a long, long list, but here's just some of them. Renal donor anatomy, UPJ evaluation, Renal artery stenosis, evaluation for fibromuscular dysplasia, vasculitis, renal artery aneurysms or pseudoaneurysms, AV malformations, presurgical planning for partial nephrectomy, and this list goes on and on. So what we'll do is in this talk is then look at some of these applications, and I'll make some of the important points as we look through each of the applications. So let's look at renal donor evaluation. Uh, renal donor evaluation is one of the classic applications uh, for CT angiography, laparoscopic donor, donor uh Retrieval of kidneys is the classic way things are done. So it's very important when we get patients to determine whether or not they're good transplant candidates. What's their vascular anatomy? We need to exclude the presence of any renal pathology. Uh, When you look at some of the numbers, and there's been a couple big articles, this one article was from Hopkins, looking at 654 potential donors. Uh, Renal artery disease was identified in 3.4% of potential donors, including stenosis FMD and aneurysm. Significant CT findings also contributed to the selection of the right kidney in 29 donors, most commonly due to the presence of ipsilateral vascular disease or complex left vascular anatomy. Remember, with laparoscopic donors, you try to take the left kidney because the left renal artery and the left renal vein are longer, but sometimes you can't do that, as you can see from these numbers. And renal parenchymal and vascular abnormalities are common in asymptomatic potential donors. Well, most of these represent incidental findings, uh, at times it will exclude patients, and at times it will change the surgical approach. And here's just a laundry list of the various renal abnormalities we saw in that large donor population. But you can see some critical things, renal artery stenosis, scarring, suspicious renal mass, solitary kidney, polycystic kidney disease, are just some of the things that will impact on patient management. And here's just a scheme of three cases, three of the cases that were potential donors, renal artery stenosis, fibromuscular dysplasia of both renal arteries, and a small aneurysm of the right renal artery. So again, uh, CT for donors is a classic application. 3D mapping is very important. We routinely do that and send that to the transplant team here at Hopkins. And it's a very important part of their preoperative and preplanning whether or not a patient can indeed be a donor. Another application, suspected UPJ obstruction. There's a number of reasons for UPJ obstruction, sometimes it's fibrous tissue, sometimes it's scarring or banding, but it's possible it can be due to crossing vessels, and these crossing vessels can be arteries or veins, and they're typically recognized at the region of the ureteric transition point. The normal renal arteries may be single or multiple and give rise to anterior-posterior branches, and this can be what is problematic, particularly the anterior branches. Now, when you look at the branching, and I'll show you some examples, most crossing vessels that are problematic are going to be arteries, not veins. Remember, arteries have more pull to them than veins. Veins tend to get pushed, and they're interior. The interior vessels supply the superior and middle renal artery segments, with a lower branch to the anterior and posterior lower pole. The posterior branch vessels uh, over the. Renal pelvis to supply the smaller, corresponding superior and medial posterior segments. All renal arteries are end arteries, and thus should be sacrificed for UPJ treatment only if the thorough consideration of their role in the process of obstruction. The lower pole segmental artery or vein, in particular, has been implicated in UPJ obstruction when crossing vessels are observed. It is tempting to implicate them uh, for the UPJ, but in many cases. They're simply uh, not the cause, and they're, in some sense, innocent bystanders. The distended renal pelvis, secondary to UPJ obstruction, is largely extra renal and, of necessity, will balloon over a lower renal artery segmental vessel when a potential space is created between it and the adjacent main renal artery. So, you want to be very careful you're not creating or overcalling UPJ obstruction. Here's a nice example dilated renal pelvis. Slight differential in the function left kidney to right. And this is really where 3D imaging works very well. Look at the patient's left kidney now. You can see where the pelvis is, but also the renal arteries. And you can see that the lower pole renal artery is in the region of the pelvis. And I'll show you a few more examples from the volume rendering with grayscale to volume rendering with color. And you could see exactly what's happening. That second or accessory renal artery is cutting right across the UPJ zone and causing the UPJ obstruction. Here it is very nicely when I show you the coronal view and you see that relationship of that lower pole renal artery. Here it is again with some MIP imaging. And here it is again with volume imaging. So you can see in this case, the patient has a UPJ, but that UPJ is caused by the second renal artery or the accessory renal artery to the lower pole. Just very nicely shown. And here it is on delayed phase imaging with the renal pelvis dilated. So UPJ obstruction is a very, very good application. Now, renal artery stenosis is another application. Usually, it's due to atherosclerosis. Eccentric irregular narrowing is classic and more common in the proximal aspect of the vessel. Because of renal artery stenosis, you may see decreased renal function, with loss of cortex uh, not uncommon. Patients may present with hypertension, and then the question is uh, is hypertension caused by renal artery stenosis? The surgeon will then maybe put a stent in or do uh, reimplantation, but it's an important application. And here's just a nice example of two right renal arteries and a single left renal artery. I sh- I'll show you a number of images, but you can see the patient has a critical stenosis, well over 50% narrowing of the uppermost right renal artery and a narrowing of the left renal artery under 50%, but very close. And you can see as I rotate the images or I use the color mapping, you can get a very nice look at the patient's renal arteries and there's renal artery stenosis present. When you speak about renal artery stenosis, the other disease that always you think about is fibromuscular dysplasia. It's the second most common cause of renal hypertension, usually in women between age 30 and 55, and usually occurs in both renal arteries in the mid and distal segments. Uh, you get a string of beads appearance is most classic, Uh, with alternating areas of stenosis and dilatation. And here's just a nice example of a patient with two renal arteries bilaterally. And you can see the FMD in the uppermost renal artery in the right kidney. This is an interesting case because it does make the point that not every vessel may have FMD. And you can see the very proximal uh, renal artery on the right upper pole um, has no... uh, FMD proximally, but then as you get into the mid and distal vessel, there's significant FMD present, and here's just a few views of that. So again, a very nice demonstration of what fibromuscular dysplasia looks like, but also a good example showing you that not every vessel needs to be involved if you have multiple vessels. This case also shows that the patient's uh, MIP imaging can be very helpful in really accentuating the FMD. It's very important to look at each renal artery in every case you do and make certain the patient doesn't have FMD. It's also important to recognize that when you see FMD, make sure you look at the celiac and SMA and IMA because other vessels can be involved with FMD. Another example here, this was a potential renal donor And as I share a sequence of images, you can see fibromuscular dysplasia in the patient's right renal artery. And in many situations, FMD could make you uh, not eligible to be a donor. So that's some of the information on FMD uh, and some of the information on some of the basic principles of renal artery imaging. And with that, I think we'll take a few minute break and then we'll come back and start on renal artery.